Welcome to the Western New York Entrepreneur Podcast, helping Western New York entrepreneurs take the next step in their business. If you love Western New York and entrepreneurship, this is the podcast for you. Whether you have been in business for 20 years or 20 minutes, there is something for everyone. David Schaub interviews the top entrepreneurs in Western New York so you can take your next step in your own business. Hey, welcome to today's podcast. Welcome to Western New York Entrepreneur, where we help entrepreneurs take the next step in their own business. And today, we're in Niagara Falls. We're in the far north of Buffalo. We have Dr. Fichte uh, from uh, Fichte Elmer Eye Care. Uh, Did I say your name correct, sir? Yes, you did. Awesome. And uh, again, I appreciate your time. I know in an hour or so, you're going to start doing surgeries. So I do appreciate your time. I know it's very valuable. And uh, we're going to jump right in. So, uh, doctor, what should people that don't know your story, that don't know your business, or don't know you that well personally, what do you think they should know about you? Well, you know, as a doctor, you're really trying to provide the best care to patients that you can. And so that involves the responsibility of always being on the cutting edge. And so you're trying to provide uh, care that's modern uh, in a very uh, efficient and caring manner. And so that can take you to new horizons. Uh, Sometimes it takes you to places you don't expect. Um, How long have you been in business for? It's now 40 years. Oh, wow. Okay. 40 years. And so the... The pathway that uh, really took my career in a very exciting direction was the development of uh, lasers and uh, using lasers to um, to enhance patient care beyond what we could do with traditional surgical techniques. And eye surgeons were really among the first to adopt laser technology to therapy. Now, all specialties use lasers, mm-hmm. uh, but... Uh, uh, ophthalmologists were the first, and uh, that really helped uh, launch my career in a direction that I ended up doing things in my lifetime that were science fiction when I was in medical school. Mm-hmm. So um, were you the one that originally started? When, like, when did you conjoin forces with the other two doctors? Well, I, 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 start, well, I started my practice in 1980, uh, but it was really, uh, you know, during the time I was busy doing cataract surgery and other surgeries, and I was always uh, wondering how we could improve upon, you know, wearing glasses or contact lenses, um, be, uh, you know, because that was such a common problem. You know, we take those things for granted. Uh, people who are really dependent on uh, spectacles view almost like they have a disability. You know, mm-hmm. as do- and as doctors, you know, we think, well, gee, you with glasses and contacts, you see great. Your eyes healthy. What's the problem? Yeah, be grateful. <laughs> but if you, put, but if, but that's the traditional way of thinking. Yeah. That's thinking inside the box. So, if you think about, you know, if you listen to people, uh, it really affects people's, uh, you know, uh, self-image. It affects sometimes their career pathways, and uh, so when lasers started uh, uh, coming into the uh, into the research limelight. I was looking, uh, you know, how can I adopt this to, you know, to apply to patients? And so, uh, you know, I should digress a little bit. You know, my undergraduate training is in engineering. So with that engineering background, I really very well understood how lasers work and, and, and optics. 
So the f they, I, I started reading about uh, how uh, some doctors at Columbia University were working with IBM scientists trying to apply lasers uh, to the cornea. And the cornea, the surface of the eye, is very amenable to reshaping. And reshaping had already been done, uh, and we were doing it here in Western New York by using a tra a traditional means, cutting with scalpels. And uh, so uh, as I um, started researching more and more, as it started uh, becoming, uh, uh, starting to have FDA testing here in the United States, uh, I, I realized that in England and in Germany, they were um, already doing clinical studies. Mm -hmm. So I went to Berlin for several weeks and studied with the world's thought leader on laser eye surgery. What uh, year was this, by the way? It was 1989. Okay, 1989. Yeah. And it was actually a fascinating time to be there because the Berlin Wall had uh, just come down, and it was a very exciting time. And then I uh, came, and I, you know, I met, uh, uh, you know, I became friends with uh, doctors in England and in other areas uh, of Europe. And when I came back, I thought, well, at that time, the free trade agreement was starting to be negotiated here in between the United States and Canada. And I thought, well, gee, you know, we will just, uh, um, you know, cross borders, and and it was. Um, approved in Canada before it was approved in the United States to do laser eye surgery. So you were thinking about opening a practice in so, Canada? So that's <laughs> what I was thinking. And so, but you, you know, it got more, you know, it was one thing for a trade to cross, but professionals couldn't just <laughs> cross yeah. the border. So you had to have dual citizenship. So um, I started, uh, I started actually with a Canadian doctor and another American doctor. We actually opened the first uh, laser eye surgery clinic in Eastern Canada, in Toronto. And it was a very exciting time. Uh, there was one doctor out in uh, Western Canada who was first. Um, so it was a very exciting time because we got to meet uh, a lot of Canada's thought leaders. We actually uh, taught them the initial way to do laser eye surgery. Uh, but I couldn't do the surgery myself. So it's because you weren't dual citizenship. Because I wasn't, right? I wasn't yeah. a dual citizen. Yeah. So um, at that time, I became, uh, I had an opportunity to go to England, and so with uh, a colleague, a very uh, good friend, and uh, some English doctors, we started the first laser eye clinic in England. And there, uh, for a period of time, because I was a world expert at the time, uh, I was able to teach doctors how to do the surgery. And we um, had uh, opened up uh, several laser eye clinics in England and, uh, and ran those for uh, about 10 years before we sold them to a venture capital group. Uh, but during that time, I was also building my practice here in Western New York, and I was uh, really flying uh, back and forth say, you, across you, the yeah, pond. Yeah. Uh, fortunately, I had a very good uh, you know, uh, um, partner who who really ran the clinics and I could focus on the medical issues. Yeah. So to try, try to make a long story short, when um, the FDA finally approved uh, the laser eye surgery to get rid of nearsightedness, uh, astigmatism in the United States, which was in the you know, later 1990s, that's when I started 
my clinic here in Amherst and started and opened up the first laser eye surgery. And we were the first to do uh, what is now commonly known as LASIK. Yeah. Okay. So we were one of the first uh, centers in the United States uh, to uh, perform the LASIK procedure. And I had people coming from all over, you know, the United States uh, to have the surgery because at the time it was very unique. Mm -hmm. Our laser was number 14 Mm -hmm. in the country. So, uh, you know, that's a pretty low number. (laughs) But it wasn't, so it wasn't, you know, uh, sometimes people say, well, you, you know, created this. No, no, I... I did not <laughs> invent laser eye surgery. Uh, I'm, I'm an adopter. I'm an adopter of technology. I'm always looking for, you know, what's new on the horizon? How can we make things better? Mm. But beyond that, you know, y- you have to also uh, present it in a way that patients uh, accept it, understand what, you know, what's available to them. You, you really have to introduce the technology to people. And that's also an intensive education process. Yeah, and what's really cool about you is I noticed, you know, through your your stories that you never you never just settled for good enough. You didn't say, well, you know, this is what we know right now, and when, when eventually something else comes out, maybe I'll explore. It seems like you really were looking for the newest thing to to help your patients and and to really just move forward in your practice and really just get the cutting edge. And you traveling so much and learning so much from doctors around the world clearly proved that because. I mean, uh, one of my favorite sayings, uh, Dr. Fichte, is uh, I can't hear what you're saying because your actions are speaking too loud. <laughs> um, so for you, your actions spoke very boldly of you really wanted to learn what was best and, and what was coming up. And uh, I thought that was really cool. I think doctors, thank you very much. Yeah. I think doctors in general tend to be conservative, you know, and, and cautious. They want to make sure that what they're doing is safe. So if you're an early adopter of technology, you, you know, the onus is on you to really uh, do your homework, to really understand uh, what you're adopting, and, and you have to make some uh, decisions. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, I think it's key for early adopters to be successful. They have to be able to discern what's good technology, what's actually, you know, what makes things better, what's an improvement as opposed to something that just may be new or a fad, mm-hmm. because there are also our medical fads that uh, are not uh, successful. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you have that not just in surgery, but you have that in drugs, you have that you know, in, in many aspects of life. So do you do that just by doing research, or you know, so how do you kind of figure out what is a fad and what really is beneficial? That's very, that's very difficult, and so you, you have to do your research and you have to understand what you're getting involved with. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and the other thing is you have to have fun. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, um, if you're not having fun, you can't be good at what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's the old trite ad- adage. If you uh, enjoy your work, you're never going to work, uh, feel like you're going to work, you know, because your you're always looking, uh, you know, what's over the next horizon. Yeah, so for our doctors out there or entrepreneurs that are, you know, and medical practices, what do you think is one of the keys to really succeeding or not succeeding in, in a medical practice? I know there's a thousand different ways we can go through all this, but in a general yeah. sense, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think for one thing is you have to serve the patient. You know, and so the patients are, 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 are going to make you successful or not successful. So um, you have to interact with them. You have to educate them. You have to make them feel that you are really there to serve them. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know and so when they you know when p- patients walk in the door they're they're uh some somewhat afraid of what they have they may be angry because of what they have uh they're looking for information they're looking for reassurance they're looking for knowledge and and wisdom and so you know so you have to really take the approach you know how can i help you mm-hmm. you know and and you break down get them to trust you and uh, be confident in you. Yeah, so I noticed that, you know, from speaking, just through for the last five years, speaking to, I don't know, if it wasn't 100 doctors, it was pretty close, that some of them are, take private insurance and some don't. And I noticed that ones that do, they feel like they can only spend so much time because the insurance only allows to pay so much. And I'm sorry if this isn't a good question for you, yeah. um, but what are your thoughts on that at all? Do you think most people should just go private? Do you think they should accept insurance? I'm sorry if that's too general. That, that's a tough question to answer uh, very quickly, but yeah. I think, you know, we're, if, if people are private, mm-hmm. okay, uh, if you go back to when, before insurance, you know, doctors couldn't just charge what they want. You know, they ha- you have to take into account what can patients afford. Mm-hmm. So in the old days, people, uh, people who could affo- pay would pay, and, and people who couldn't pay, they the doctors would still take care of them, mm-hmm. you know. So, insurance came along and so made it made it uh, easier, mm-hmm. you know. And so I I think, uh, you know, if insur I think most doctors, if insurance covers something, they're really happy to take that because doctors in general don't like to ask people for money. Yeah. Right? That's not who does. You know, uh, really. <laughs> you know, I mean, some people are comfortable with that. But uh, in in general, you're you went into medicine to help people. You know that's your your ultimate reason for starting down this pathway. So, um, but there are some things that you have to ask people money for because let's say laser eye surgery is not covered by insurance. Mm-hmm. So, um, so then you uh, you ask you have to ask people to pay for that. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's an expensive technology. So the fees for that are also on the expensive side. And what's cool is my actually my wife got her. I don't know if you know this, but my wife actually did her uh, got her eyes done by you guys. Awesome. And I know you guys did some kind of payment plan or something of that yes. nature. Yes. So which made her really affordable because yes. she was in school at the time getting her master's degree. <laughs> so she's a do- she's a teacher now, yeah. but back when she did it. But that's important. And I have I have two awesome partners, Dr. Mike Endel and Dr. Mm-hmm. Tom Elmer. They, you know, they are really them, themselves are entrepreneurs and also always looking for the next horizon. Mm-hmm. You know, and so uh, it's been an exciting place to to work. The other thing is to be successful. You have to really surround yourself with the best people you can. You know, and you, and you have to stimulate them. You have to get them on board with your philosophy and your uh, way of thinking and your proactive approach to patient care and so uh, and then you want to give them uh, especially employees you want to give them as much rope as they can carry you know you you want them to take ownership of their job and so if if you achieve that then it's an exciting place to work Mm -hmm. it's really fun to see when you know your employees already know uh, what the patient needs because they've They've been with you for so long, and they have, you know, they carry responsibility, mm-hmm. and they know where they can, where they have to stop, you know, where their knowledge base ends, and uh, and so there's a lot of overlap. Hey, really quick, 
A lot of great things are happening for the Western New York Entrepreneur Podcast. We're doing free networking events every single month. We're doing them at breweries, distilleries, local coffee houses. So my question to you is, do you like free drinks? Do you like free food? Do you like networking with other entrepreneurs in the area? Then you definitely do not want to miss this. Go to westernnewyorkentrepreneur.com and sign up for our events or to be notified via email when the next event is going down. Again, the website is wnyentrepreneur.com. And if you're loving these podcasts, make sure you leave us a rating, give us a review, and let other entrepreneurs know about this because this is just too good to contain. We're in a movement in Western New York for entrepreneurs where we're just helping other entrepreneurs take their next step. No gimmicks, no sales pitches, just good old networking, giving information, and sharing what we learn so we can help our local economy and our local entrepreneurs grow. So be a part of this. Go to wnyentrepreneur.com. Now, back to your podcast. Yeah. So how many staff do you have working for you at all your locations total? Do we you have, have an idea? We have over 85. Uh, to, uh, actually, now it's it's with the surgery center, it's like about 100 people. Wow. So how have. do you kind of, you know, because it's hard to, you know, at least I could be completely wrong. It might be tough to really build a culture because you have different locations, right, and yes. different staff. And yes. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, communication is important. You know, training and communication. So we have regular meetings uh, to uh, inform everybody what's going on, what are the new things we are doing. Uh, also, quality control. I mean, you know, you have to, uh, you know, it, it, patient care. You know, you can you can make that great catch. Uh, Say in the World Series and uh, you know win, but the next day you have to show up again and be ready to make <laughs> another great catch. You know yeah. you can never let up. Mm -hmm. So um, so education that says important meetings uh, and uh, in and in training you you know patients and also you lead by example. Mm -hmm. You know uh, your staff sees how you uh, approach things and they if they if they like that if they fall on board. And people here work very hard. Mm -hmm. They work very hard. And people who don't like that kind of a hard work culture, mm -hmm. they end up not staying. Yeah, you know, because which is good. Which is good because <laughs> you need all hands on on deck. You're very, you know, as a as a physician, you get the uh, you get all the glory, mm -hmm. but you're really standing on the shoulders of your staff that that make you. You can be the best doctor in the world, but. Mm -hmm. They make you look good or bad, mm -hmm. depending on how they support you. That thing is so good, and a lot of times our staff, you know, uh, take on the personality um, of uh, or the work ethic uh, of their uh, their boss. In this case, to be the doctor. Yeah, that's so cool. So, how many locations do you guys have? We have two uh, two locations: the office in Amherst, mm -hmm. and uh, the one here in Niagara Falls. And we also now have the surgery center mm -hmm. uh, right next door here in Niagara Falls, which is the you know, the first uh, surgery center in, in Niagara County. Awesome. Yeah. yeah it's, I can see it's a brand new building, or at least it looks like a brand new building. It, it is relatively <laughs> new. And uh, and so we do all kinds of surgery here, but the LASIK eye surgery we do at the Amherst location. When do you think it is a good point for a doctor of any sense to really go multiple locations? Or when is it not? Like, do you ever see people go multiple locations? You're like, oh, that's not a good time or not a good fit. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? I think if you're, it depends on what you, what specialty you're in, you know. So, uh, but let's say in for me in my case, uh, 
when I st when I uh, was starting to do LASIK eye surgery, I felt I need to be in a location. I was based originally in Niagara Falls, but I felt I need to be in a location where people uh, in Western New York had more read ready access to me. Mm -hmm. So I need to be more in the in the center of the hub, mm -hmm. and so um, the uh, so that led to the Amherst location. Also, as you're adding on uh, doctors, as your practice grows, mm -hmm. your patient base expands. Mm -hmm. And so there it reaches a point where there's actually an advantage to having another location uh, rather than having one location that's oh, really huge. Mm -hmm. uh, it's better to have uh, two locations or more. Uh, but then again, as every time you do that, uh, it adds on another layer of, uh, of um, you know, complexity in terms of uh, now communication is even more important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you guys ever do like video conferencing? Like I, I got to imagine, I, I could be wrong, but does your staff usually meet once? So you know, uh, in one location, they usually meet multiple locations. You guys do video conferencing. How does that all, usually all work? of the uh, all of the above? And okay. so uh, every week there's something going on. So once a month we have we get everybody together. Okay. Okay. So, uh, but the doctors meet. Uh, uh, once a month, so we're we're uh, both the ophthalmologist and optometrist. We have eight optometrists that work with uh, three ophthalmologists, mm -hmm. soon to be four. Um, and so, uh, we, so we talk about case, interesting cases, uh, any kind of problems that we're seeing, mm -hmm. and then we have you know uh, uh, meetings with technicians. We have we have meetings every week for. Uh, new staff that need to be trained because mm -hmm. people come in with different uh, levels of knowledge, um, and so uh, some sometimes you get people that are very experienced. But we also love getting people that are, let's say, fresh out of school mm -hmm. and uh, their their minds are open. They and so they're they're actually easier to train to the new culture because they don't have any preset ideas. Yeah, you know, that's good. You know, the there's an old saying that the you know, the practice of medicine is an art, but at the same time, you're wearing the same, the, you're also wearing the hat that the delivery of healthcare is a business. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's when it gets back to when you're uh, asking what could make a doctor successful or not. If you're not able to wear those two hats or have people that help you wear those two hats, that's, then you could fail. Yeah, because yeah. I notice a lot of, you know, I could be wrong, you're exciting, obviously I'm not a doctor, but um, in school, they really teach you how to be a doctor, but I'm guessing they don't teach you really how to run a business. Am I am I wrong in that? Or, or no, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. So, so, so for our doctors out there just getting started, or maybe they're early in their practice, what I thoughts or ideas would you say? Like, okay, this is how maybe I know you have a marketing director, Kathy, who's yes, wonderful, she um, is. who introduced us to, which I appreciate that, Kathy, if you're listening to this. <laughs> um, but in a general sense, you know, I'm guessing in the beginning you kind of did it your own on your own or maybe did you just yes. hire, did you hire it off right away or what are, you, what are your thoughts on doctors these days when they're just starting their practice what any thoughts or ideas on how to really uh, obtain new clients I think I think uh, you have to you have to do your research it's it's getting a little bit more difficult uh, because it's getting more and more expensive to to uh, become a doctor and then open up your office so so uh because of that, a lot of doctors like joining groups. They like uh, joining an established group as, as, you know, as long as the culture uh, meets their own feelings about uh, things. But I think uh, if, you, if you just pay attention to, to good patient care, 
I think there's there's no oversupply of doctors in in the United States. Maybe in some areas of the country, you know, where it's really uh, a hot place to live, maybe like Tribeca or <laughs> downtown San Francisco. I mean, um, you know, in general, there's a need for doctors, uh, and so if you you have to do your research as to where's a good location, you know, where's there a need. You have to do some of your homework beforehand, and then just uh, uh, if you take good care of patients, uh, they will come. That's a good. It's a, I like that location. Doing your research beforehand versus oh, this looks like a good spot. I guess I'll just plan it up here. Yeah. Um, so now, when it, when, it, when it comes to bringing on a, a, you know a doctor or two because your practice is growing, what do you look for in in a doctor besides their expertise? Um, is there a certain, maybe, is it a, a personality? In fact, I don't even want to say because I want, I want to hear your yeah, thoughts. Yeah. What, what do you look for? Oh, I look for personality. You know, I mean, you want, you want doctors to be user-friendly to the patient. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's the, the reason they're there to serve. And if they don't have that attitude, then they're not going to, they're going to clash here. Mm-hmm. You know, th- I mean, that's just the, c- that's really the bottom line is good patient care. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. So, believe it or not, we only have a few minutes left. Wow. So, I want to make sure that we're talking about anything that you want to talk about. I always love, I love to leave the last four or five minutes really open to, is there anything that you wish that I would ask you or maybe something that you'd like to talk about? You know, I think uh, to, be, to be a good doctor, to be good at anything in life, you have to have a passion for it. You have to... Uh, you know, get up every morning and and you're excited that the day's uh, b- begun and you you always have to look for what can I do better. But at mm-hmm. the same time, what I'm doing well, making sure that I continue to do that well. Mm-hmm. And and you know, the technology, science is advancing so quickly. You know, it's it's um, really been a, an exciting journey because as i said earlier things i'm doing today was science fiction in my uh, training years but the patient hasn't changed yeah so we have to k- keep in mind that at the end of the day uh, there's a human being with concern sitting across from you and and no matter how you know smart you are or how high tech you are you <laughs> still have that old-fashioned interhuman uh, interaction that's key to uh, one's professional satisfaction. Mm-hmm. I noticed that, you know, uh, that you guys do like open houses a lot. Yes. How often do you think you guys do open houses? We do open houses uh, once a month, sometimes twice a month. Mm-hmm. And you have to make, you know, when, when you're doing surgery, you have to make people aware of the technology. And the best way to do that, uh, like, well... You can you teach people one on one, but if you can reach like fifty or hundred people in one setting, and uh, you can uh, you can you can disperse you know disseminate a lot of information in a in a very efficient way because uh, if you're in an audience, the person sitting next to you will may ask the question that you forgot to ask mm-hmm. or or wish you had asked, mm-hmm. and so uh, you also get to meet uh, the doctors and the staff in an informal way. Uh, these these open houses are st- you know strictly informational uh, sessions. There's you know there's no pressure on anyone to have surgery. In fact, 
many people come to several sessions before <laughs> they decide to have uh, you know any so kind making of sure surgery. the information is consistent yes, right <laughs> yeah yeah so i think i could be wrong but usually when doctors think about opening up an open house in any scenario they're maybe afraid that it might be not be well attended you guys have pretty well attended open houses yeah. oh, what, what do you think you credit that to it may be something unique about Western New York being a more traditional, maybe a little bit more conservative, um, uh, you know, uh, community because people come from all over the country and attend our open houses. Doctors, you know, they've come from Chicago, from San Francisco, they're from New York, and they say, "Well, how do you get so many people to attend?" And so, I think. Uh, I think people here maybe maybe uh, people are still interested in in uh, going to an open house uh, and meeting doctors. We don't really know why other people can't uh, get attendance, large attendance to other places, but uh, it's a lot of word of mouth. Uh, mm -hmm. We hear patients saying, "Oh, you should go to the open house." People tell we you know we ask, well, "How did you hear about the open house?" and Yes, we advertise, and uh, and uh, but a lot of it is just through my my neighbor who had the surgery said go to the open house, you know. So word of mouth is is key. It's uh, so cool, and I and I think because that comes from a low pressure because a lot of times people feel like well yeah well if I go there I'm going to feel pressured in any in any situation yes. whether it's go to I'll go to a car dealership even if I just want to browse I'm going to feel pressured or in any situation. So what's cool is that when people obviously if it's word of mouth it's Clearly, you're delivering on what you said you're not going to do and what you are going to do, yeah. which is important. I think when you're when you're providing us a, a medical service, you, you really sh should never pressure people. Mm -hmm. You know, if if you you should educate, and if if patients uh, feel like this is an, an enhancement to their lifestyle, then they'll opt for it. And mm -hmm. it also, you know, it has they have to feel that it's it's safe. You know mm -hmm. that. And it is surgery. That's one of the things we emphasize, that as wonderful as it is, how life-changing it is, it is still, uh, it has the potential for a complication. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we emphasize that uh, the important thing is that if someone considers this, that they have an evaluation mm -hmm. to see, are you not just a candidate, are you a great candidate? Because mm -hmm. the better the patient qualification, the higher the chance of success. Yeah, which yeah. obviously reflects on everybody, not just on you, but everybody. on them and their yeah. life. Yep. Um, for that being said, it's all the time we have. However, for those that really just love this interview, they connect with you, maybe they have a question for you, maybe there is a question that I didn't think of, like, oh, that's a great question. Uh, whatever you feel comfortable, uh, don't, yes. don't, don't feel any pressure, but um, whatever, what, what is the best way for someone maybe to get a hold of you if they have any questions for you or any thoughts, or maybe they just want to talk to you about maybe, maybe they're a doctor and they'd love to connect with you or something? Yes, um, they should uh, just call the office. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just call the office and uh, we uh, answer all questions. Very yeah. cool. All Wait, right. Do you know the number off the top of your head? Yes. Uh, 282-1114 or 564-2020. Awesome. Hey, I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy guy. I know you're going to head into surgery a little bit. And uh, yeah, I just appreciate your time. I appreciate uh, having the opportunity to speak with you. It was, it was fun. Thank you. Absolutely. If you loved listening to the Western New York Entrepreneurs Podcast and want more, subscribe to it and head on over to 
wnyentrepreneur.com for articles, what's coming up next, and to get involved. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.